Welcome to the Marketexture Podcast. We're trying something new with topical coverage of the latest happenings in advertising and marketing technology. Every week, we'll bring in leaders from the industry to talk about what they're seeing, make some predictions, and generally, you know, stir some things up. Of course, Marketexture.tv is your place for getting smart fast on issues relating to ad tech and martech and seeing interviews with CEOs. This is going to be a little bit more of what's happening this week and what's been going on lately. Uh, so I'm Ari Paparo. I'm the co-founder of Marketexture and uh, I like to call myself an ad tech influencer. I'm here joined by two great experts in the advertising world. First, Eric Franchi, the uh, founding partner of Aperium Venture Capital Firm. Aperium is an investor in uh, Marketexture, just as full disclosure. And Zach Rogers, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Marketexture. So thank you for being here, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Ari. This is exciting. Let's just start off with like, why are we interested in this topic? We're, we're here talking about really primarily ad tech. Why is ad tech still interesting and worthy of talking about or worthy of listening to us talk about? Sure, I'll take that one. So I'm talking about it because I've always talked about it and it's all I know how to do. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you can't, it's your only job. You, you just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I love ad tech. It's, it's been fascinating and constantly changing over the two decades that I've been writing about it and talking about it. There's always something new. So I think that will continue to be true, although we are going through an extended boring period, um, which, you know, it has been sort of characterized by consolidation and private equity investment in the space. A lot of what we think of as the core of ad tech, the pipes of ad tech is now commoditized and is mature. I do think there continues to be areas of excitement, areas of innovation, and we just have to kind of redefine a little bit of, you know, what we think of as exciting. I mean, I think privacy disruption to the data landscape is exciting. It's, you know, so yeah, there's no question we've moved beyond the kind of world building era of ad tech 2008 to maybe 2018. What's going on now is just more along the lines of sort of retooling and finishing work. But I do think we've got tectonic changes right in front of us. Some of them are driven by regulation and privacy laws that are forcing innovation and limiting the power of the big platforms to share data across their products, for instance. So happy to talk more about that. But I do see this as still a dynamic space. The extended boring period, I, I, that's a, one way to put it. Uh, no, Eric, you're putting your money where your mouth is. I mean, you're a venture firm that primarily is investing in this area. So why is it exciting? I would, I, you know, I would disagree that we're in an extended boring period, but probably because, you know, I'm so focused on, you know, all of the innovation that's happening at the early stage, which takes time, you know, increasingly it can take years um, for this to become prime time and, and, and get exciting. I um hasn't been boring for us, but in terms of like, you know, taking a step back and, and why is ad tech important? What was advertising important? You know, I, I think about it from a, a top down perspective, you know, number one, you know, the, the TAM is gigantic, right? You know, you've got like $300 billion U.S. market, you know, sort of another, you know, equal amount outside of the U.S. And then, you know, that's, that's like digital. And then, you know, what, what is it? The, the total TAM that's yet to become digital because we think that everything becomes digital, right? You're talking about a trillion dollar market, you know, sort of that, that's number one. Number two, you know, you can make an argument that advertising is like, you know, the most important, you know, thing from two perspectives. Number one, as a brand, 
you know, in an age where like product development is increasingly like commoditized in an age where distribution, you know, is no longer a competitive advantage. It's one of the true ways you can differentiate is through like being a great advertiser, being a great marketer. And then on the other side, if we, you know, pull up and I wish we had like a, you know, a, a person or, or a video capability to sort of like pull up stuff, you know, maybe as, as our budget grows, we can, we can do that. If you just like put, pull up the, the, the largest, put a link in the show notes if there's something you want to show. There we go. If we pull up like largest companies by market cap, like X Saudi Aramco, they all are either like advertising businesses or like have a, you know, core advertising business, which is quite large, right? You're talking about. Apple and Microsoft and Google and Meta and, 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 you know, so, so on and so forth. So yeah, it's like, you know, it's super important. Go a level down while, you know, to your point, Zach, right? The, the core infrastructure has, has been laid for, you know, what, what has classically been considered ad tech. There's areas that are growing like incredibly fast, right? So CTV and retail slash commerce media. And then the need to build or rebuild the infrastructure. A for that. And then B, just to rebuild in an era of privacy, you know, it feels like there's, you know, like so much that needs to be done. So for us, you know, as early stage investors, we think it's like, you know, an ex- a super exciting time. And we haven't been busier. Like to set some context, you know, we invested in 15 new companies in 2022. Wow. We, we followed on in, I think, eight companies in 2022. We had four exits in 2022. So there's a lot going on in the market if you just like take a step back. And actually track all the, all the all the data. Yeah, I think we're exiting the long boring period. Where I'm just going to hold that phrase in my mind forever. Uh, if you go back maybe five years ago, the overwhelming consensus was ad tech had seen its best days. There was a duopoly. If you weren't working with Google or Meta, it was sort of like a sideshow. And maybe TV would be interesting in the future. That that was consensus of you know let's call it 2016 17. And I know this because I started Beeswax and everyone told me I was crazy that it was, you know, that I was creating the last DSP, the last man through the door. And now if you look and we're just starting 2023, I just saw a stat that was fascinating, which was that Google and Meta combined are less than 50% of advertising, uh, digital advertising for the first time in many years. And that's probably more because of, you know, TikTok and some other competitors. But the diversity of, uh, of places to advertise is really interesting. Retail media is something people have been talking about since, once again, related to my personal career. I worked at a company called Bizarre Voice that wanted to be the lead of retail media eight years ago, and now it's the hot thing. And the rebuild because of privacy also opens up a huge amount of opportunities. Um, you know, with any disruption to tech, you you find new opportunities. So, Eric, you just got back from Vegas, right? Um, so you're the only of the three of us who uh, has the budget to hang out at CES. Um, you know, Zach and I are now journalists, so we don't go anywhere unless someone pays us to. So uh, so what's the vibe? Well, give us a vibe check on CES. How's the chandelier bar? What's the best party? What are people talking about? So vibe check. I've actually never said those words together out, out loud. So this is, this is great. <laughs> Midlife crisis mode activated. Yeah, it was great. It was it was well tended, you know. And you know, t- today you see you know, all, all these posts on LinkedIn and, and and Twitter. So I'm not necessarily you know giving you anything that, that you haven't seen, but um, it was well tended. You know, the big companies had you know uh, I think presences that you know harkened you back to 2019 in terms of uh, you know events and you know booking out 
venues and parties and so on and so forth. But you know, so, so some of the, the, the notable you know large uh, bashes were, were were not there. You know, if you're in ad tech, you spend a hundred percent of your time you know sort of shuffling between two spots: the Cosmopolitan Hotel and the Aria, where you know typically like meetings happen. Um, whether it's at the aforementioned uh, chandelier bar or up in the up in the suites and you know it's the unofficial start of the of the year so it felt like super productive to a it's great to see people but then b you know hear what everyone's um, priorities are going in for the year what everybody is you know sort of like thinking about and concerned about right Go, so what, going into what the are year. those things so, sorry to interrupt but what are those things what are people thinking about is it still Privacy, CTV, retail media, like full stop. Privacy, CTV, <laughs> retail media. You know, if you if if you if you unpack privacy, right? It's like you know, sort of uh, you know, future of identity and all that, and then you know, data collaboration, clean rooms. Right. Um, so I would say those are the the two big topics, and then you know, then there's the uncertainty of of the year ahead from a macro perspective. I didn't do too too many like boondoggle type things, but I was um I was at a dinner the first evening, you know one of the Fortune 500s was was hosting a a really nice event, and you know there had just been news that like Salesforce was you know doing a like an eleven percent riff or eleven thousand um and Amazon eighteen thousand, and I was talking to a a founder you know who's like an enterprise. Seller and you know he he had like orders out literally you know for for those two companies and was wondering what the what the future of, of those deals were and I think that's a you know that's a thing that we're we're all going to be thinking about yeah we uh, but you know, the- we did a architecture interview with uh, Martin Kiln from Salesforce and it had the unfortunate timing of coming out on the day their layoffs came out but I'd recommend watching the video uh, it's very good and it covers the uh, Salesforce CDP so check that out I'm just going to plug our videos whenever I have a chance. Well, we should. This is a architecture podcast. We've got TikTok videos. We've got Salesforce, Roku. We just published a great one with Roku. So those are all available in a short form format right now. But become a subscriber, you can hear the whole thing. All right. Sorry. I hate to be salesy well here, but I, pre- no, no, I do want to plug what we're doing. Before we sort of move off CS, the, the one thing that I thought was um, actually quite positive I remember, you know, call it a generation back, right? 10 years ago, um, when the Lumascape was like, you know, call it 300, 400 companies. And, you know, there was this like, you know, uh, running, running meme that, you know, basically all these events, it's the three, same 300 people just, you know, meeting each other, you know, Andercraft. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a, in a, in another location. Um, that's, that's no longer the case, both from a, the standpoint of, you know, how big the market is in terms of, you know, how much ad tech touches and, the number of companies there, and um, yeah, quite frankly, the you know the the diversity of um of, of people in attendance, you know, is uh, f- thankfully fewer ad tech tuxedos, and um you know more women, more more people of color, and uh, I know there's a lot of a lot more to to be done there in certain places, like you know sort of like visible difference and diversity and and new new faces, which I think is a is a is a really good thing. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so a couple of things. So, so the same three hundred. I just want to. Credited as an Andrew Craft invention, uh, everyone knows Andrew Craft. And then the ad tech tuxedo. I think you invented that phrase, Eric. Can you explain what it is? Yes, I, I'll take credit for the for the name, but not the look. It was, I think, dark blue jeans, a gingham uh, dress shirt, and a navy blazer. That's exactly right. Uh, you have to throw on unusual socks. 
And then you have an option between expensive kicks or loafers. You know, that you go either way, depending on your mood. Mm-hmm. In more evidence that ad tech remains an interesting place, we started out the year with a bunch of interesting announcements, news deals. Let's kind of talk about them, see if we have some hot takes here. Let's do Facebook first. So Facebook um, had a pretty sizable fine from Europe, as well as probably the big news is an adverse ruling um, on their privacy consents frameworks where Facebook, for users of the app itself, uses the user personal information, uh, meaning their behavior on the app, to target ads. And they don't ask for consent explicitly for that. They use what's called contract, which means like terms of service. Basically, if you use the app, Facebook's assuming they have the right to use your data about how you use the app to show the ads on the app, right? So this isn't Apple at ATT. This is on the app, first-party data. And surprisingly, uh, or maybe not surprisingly, depending on your point of view, Europe has said that's not sufficient, that they need to get a different form of consent for doing that. Is this a big deal or not a big deal? I think it's a, it's huge in the sense that it's the second biggest GDPR fine to date. The first was Amazon. They were fined like, I think it was $800 million or so back in 2021, which is, Amazon is appealing. And Facebook will appeal too, but this is definitely consequential. I mean, if the ruling stands, it can have wide-ranging fallout, including at the kind of extreme end suspension of certain apps in the EU. I mean, Facebook has threatened to do that in the past. So are there implications for independent ad tech? I think, as you say, Ari, the the ruling deals with what's in the terms of service. So it makes opting out not an option. And maybe there's a simple change that they could implement that would just force a more active opt-in and everybody can move on. But it's also notable that Meta has been hit with another massive GDPR fine in, I think it was two years ago, and it it was against WhatsApp. So, you know, Still, to put it in perspective, we're talking about collectively maybe $600 million in fines for Meta in the EU involving just GDPR. If you, if you contrast that with what has happened with Apple, Apple and Apple's tracking changes still eclipse the revenue impact yeah. on Meta. So yeah, I, th- I, think, I think they said, I think Meta said $10 billion is what Apple's changes are going to cost it. And that's just in 2022, 20, more than 20x the scale of this fine. Yeah, the fine, the fine, I mean, it's not chump change, $400 million fine or whatever it was. I think it's interesting in that we now are in a situation where first party data needs consent. Let's just say that. So if you're a publisher who's been looking at this privacy changes over the last several years, you've always said to yourself, well, at least I know what's going on with my users and I can use that and I can send signals to people. And this kind of is a chink in the armor of that argument. Like, maybe I can, maybe I have to ask my consumers, you know, manually, if it's okay for me to use the information about what they actually do on my website. And there were some people online on Twitter, you know, Twitter ad tech is the best place. But there were some folks online in ad tech Twitter who were saying, like, you can't even do contextual ads now without consent, which I don't think hmm. holds water. I don't think that's profiling or user behavior. Yeah, that makes no sense because... You're not even targeting a user. Yeah. It's, just, it's adjacency, pure and simple. Exactly. Eric, let me throw one to you. So um, a company that I think you had invested in called Transmit Live had a pretty sizable exit. Probably a lot of folks are not that familiar with Transmit Live. I certainly had heard of them, but not. I didn't know them very well. You want to talk about that deal? 
Yeah, you're right. It was a portfolio company. It is is a portfolio company of, of ours. Might have, have actually been our first investment when uh, when Joe and I first first got started. Transmit Live, you know, sort of like as as the name connotates, um, it helps primarily sports broadcasters monetize when uh, in a, in a live streaming environment, which is tough, and I, and I think um, ends up. Being one of those, like, hey, we need to think about infrastructure and you know, re- sort of like re- redo infrastructure in the way that you know the consumer is moving and, and, and how me- media is changing. So, you know, if you're watching a football game, you know, sort of, uh, or, or, or soccer, or you know, any of those um, sports that you might be watching from a streaming standpoint, Transmit can provide the technology to detect when an appropriate time uh, to serve an ad um, is happening. Counterintuitively, that could be when like there's real action happening in the game and people are super engaged, and then they can uh, help activate a um, you know very polite and user centric um, ad experience to keep the game going, but allow a brand to to advertise. Um, and then there's applicability to you know, video on demand services and and, and non sports as well. Yeah, it's a it's a monster of a business that nobody really uh, has has heard of because you know credit to them they've been mostly focused on on execution since day one they started the business uh, about five years ago. Um, founder and CEO Seth Hitman, who um, uh, started one of the you know sort of like you know first DSPs back in the day with um, with Run, and he's just a you know incredible, fantastic uh, uh, operator. This one's interesting. Lion Tree took a majority stake in the in the business. Lion Tree is like very focused on like media and entertainment and, and so on and so forth. So I think they, they've got a real sort of optimistic view of, of where this can, this can go. And, you know, I think it's public information, but it was valued at 350 million. So it was a, yeah. it was a, it was a, a, a real sizable transaction. And it was transmit ad server or media business or a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Putting ads into live content has been, one of the most challenging parts of the ad tech ecosystem for as long as I've been in it, you know, uh, just a quick story here, which was when I was back at DoubleClick in the, in the two thousands, there was a company that innovated in this area called lightning cast that eventually I think AOL bought. And I went to the ABC studios, ABC network studios, and they literally on their console that the mixers were using had a button that said lightning cast. And I said, what does that do? And they're like, it inserts the ads. And I was like, how? <laughs> you know, that was kind of like, I never saw a solid state button, like one of those plastic buttons that was lit up from behind. And it turns out there was a long cord that went from the back of the button to a old like Dell PC that then put an ad in. That was their solution. So <laughs> good times. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, you, you, this, this, <laughs> this needs to be an automated. This needs, this is actually a good, good application of, of machine learning. They did really well. Super proud of them. Um, next on the news desk, um, the trade desk uh, put out another announcement uh, called Galileo. I really, my greatest wish is to understand the trade desk's naming system because um, it appears to be influenced by psychedelic mushrooms and yurts. Uh, they just like take the product people, put them in a yurt, come out with a name. So Galileo. Have you ever? Have- <laughs> Actually, no, you've tried to, you've named companies in, you know, in 2022, yes. in 2021. It is impossible to get a name yes. these days. You it need is. to, like, for, you need to invent names like you have, or you need to go to other languages like we did. So, Aperium is, is a Latin word. So, you know, the, the, the alternative is just to, you know, use like planets. 
Okay, fine. Well, well you're a trade desk apologist. There, we have Galileo. Have I'm not. Around. I've just been through. Um, the, I've been through the ringer. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what well, is? I will say. Got? I will say, <laughs> in reference to the long, boring period that we discussed, it says something about the state of excitement in the industry. When the most exciting thing so far this year, the beginning of the year, usually there's something to buzz about. The most exciting thing is basically a CRM announcement. What is it? Like, I read it a couple times. It, like, my, it said we basically interoperability with CRMs and cleaners, right? Uh, with UID2. Is that what it is? I don't want to be the one explaining it to you, Eric, but because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not totally clear. But my, my, my theory on it is that it's, it basically combines UID2 with onboarding on the buy side. And it basically right. is designed to create incentives for the publishers to get on board with UID too, because they want a piece of that advertiser first party data matching game. That's so well said. it's kind of a little bit of a, my, my thought would just be, it might be a little bit of a carrot to get the publishers signed up. Yeah. I think that's a good way to frame it is that UI, the conversation around UID two has largely been publisher centric where it's been get publishers to get their login information and encode in UID2 so they make more money. And this announcement was sort of a package of a lot of buy-side UID2 adoption. I think the one thing that stuck out to me that was really new that I hadn't heard previously was that you can onboard effectively email addresses directly to the trade desk, similar to the audience products from Google and Meta that have been around for some time. You know, Jeff, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on Marketecture. Someone who's listening to this podcast is probably besties with Jeff Green and get in his ear, have him on architecture. We'd love to hear about how he named the Galileo product. Other news, uh, Madison Logic uh, exited or uh, was bought by a private equity firm. Uh, they were owned by a different private equity firm. I don't think there was that much news there except the $750 million valuation, which was you know, hefty given the current state of interest rates, the environment, the economy, and ad tech. I've worked with Maslogic over the years many times, um, and uh, it seems like they have a pretty strong niche in the B2B data and activation space. Eric, any thoughts about B2B and, you know, its place in ad tech? It's clearly like a you know, real area of opportunity. I was looking at the deal and we've got, you know, some investments in, in, you know, sort of like B2B ad tech and, and MarTech and they estimate it's like a $15 billion market, which seems way low from my perspective. So understand why, um, why somebody would want to want to take a, a big swing at it. And then, um, you know, I, I think like taking a step back, it just underscores. We don't even use this word anymore, but just like underscores the importance of targeting, right? If you've got, you know, a B2B decision maker, the value of that individual to be able to, you know, reach them, you know, from a marketing perspective is huge, right? Right. Versus, versus us. And we might be just kind of like sitting there and, and, you know, passively in, in some sort of audience. So, um, I could only imagine that, you know, this, you know, is, is just like one of those huge opportunities m- moving forward. And, you know, it's like, what are the next, great markets to reach super high value individuals or super high value like decision makers, right? Is it, is it healthcare? Is it, you know, sort of like other areas of B2B that require specialization? Um, it's super exciting. Yeah. I, some of these markets like B2B ad tech are sort of artificially reduced in size because they're hard to reach these people, you know, unless you have LinkedIn's database. That's surprisingly difficult to do effective B2B. 
Yeah, but it creates like a great opportunity. Yeah, it doesn't. It, you know, even though the, the the targets are are difficult to reach and and, and small, they're they're so high value. That, that's why it's just sort of like doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Harry, to the, to your point about LinkedIn, can I ask you a question about like whether you think in one of our interviews with Xander earlier this year, they talked a little bit about how they're going to activate LinkedIn's data now that they're owned by Microsoft, and they sounded quite confident that they'd be able to bring that to the table for programmatic segmentation and bidding. Do you see like a potentially a rebirth or, you know, a Cambrian period for B2B ad tech just resulting from the availability of LinkedIn data? Yeah, I think it opens it up a lot. Um, so tr- the traditional model of B2B is usually um, that the data and the media are hard bundled. So you have to go to someone like Madison Logic or Demandbase or someone like that to buy the ads they're good companies, but they just don't give you a huge amount of self-service flexibility around the data because the data is their main asset. And LinkedIn, of course, has enormous reach among the enterprise, among executives, et cetera. So being able to sort of pick and choose which pieces of data you're going to use from LinkedIn uh, through Xander's um, product that allows you to share data. I forget the name, but it's called the Connect or something like that. You know, that that gives some really interesting opportunities for people to experiment and do their own things with the B2B data that maybe they haven't been able to do in the past. There are some really interesting tricks. Like one of the big problems of B2B is let's say you went into LinkedIn and you said, I want to target VPs uh, at tech companies, right? And I have $1,000 to spend. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to spend a huge amount of money on three or four very large tech companies like Apple and uh, IBM and maybe Accenture. And you're never going to reach the VP at the you know 100-person company who might actually use your product. And so there's this weird frequency capping slash distribution of budget problem in B2B that you need kind of custom algorithms to solve. And that's one of the reasons why companies like demand-based and matching logic been successful. So it's, it's actually kind of hard from a media perspective. You know what is so crazy? Microsoft, right? So, you know, yeah. Microsoft, you know, owns, owns Xander. But if you just like think about, you know, just the, the past 12 months or so, right? You've got the Netflix deal. Yep. You've got just the, the, the toward growth of, of, of Azure. You've got, you know, and this is in an ad tech news from last week. But, uh, you know, they're talking about acquiring 49% of open AI. I mean, Microsoft is back. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, if you cover, if you look across all the very big categories of advertising, you know, CTV, well, they have Netflix, Search, they have the second largest search engine. Actually, or I think maybe, Amazon's the second largest search engine, isn't it? But I don't know if Bing is bigger than Amazon. It's a good question. I think but it's Bing the has a third largest search engine. And it's the number one, obviously, the number one search engine for products. I've actually heard that. I think if you want to be strict, YouTube's the second largest search engine. So you kind of come up with an interesting list. But anyway, basically, Microsoft has got a pretty amazing hand right now. Um, maybe the only area they don't have is social, but maybe they're better off not having that. Uh, yeah, that probably- antitrust 25 years ago was like the best thing that ever happened to them because they were it allowed them to basically fly under the radar. It's- Google and Meta and Apple drew all of the the heat. Actually, Apple didn't draw much heat, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft looked relatively harmless and sort of, you know, castrated. And they just kind of 
came up from behind and now they're, they're just in a very strong position. It's kind of, yeah. it's neat to see, especially given Microsoft's early history and the digital advertising space and how they kind of turned tail and it seemed like they were just done at a certain point. Yeah, well, very I mean, much. If you've been around the industry long enough, you remember the phrase "the big three, and nothing seems stupider now. If like you tell, you go to your, uh, you know, millennial or, or Gen Z account managers and ask them who the big three is, they're going to be like, "Oh, Google, Facebook, and Snap, probably." But <laughs> right, and the big three was that. AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, my God. and actually <laughs> MSN, not even Microsoft. It was, yeah, it was MSN. MSN. <laughs> they were called the big three because they're the sort of the must buys on any digital. I mean, the portals were just an obsession for a long time. Absolutely. Like, uh, so let's know, talk about the future. So let's do a little conversation about predictions, or I don't, I don't want to strictly predict anything, but let's talk about a topic that came up once again in my Twitter feed because that's really the center of the universe as far as I can tell. There's a lot of debate about this generative AI stuff. And obviously, ChatGPT is amazing. It's uh, some of the imagery that's able to be created is amazing. But And there's some people saying, well, this is going to be the future of advertising. Advertising, the creatives, there's no reason to have creative teams anymore or most of their work will be automated. And then there's sort of the skeptical point of view that I espouse, which is it's not enough to just generate. Like there's more to it than that. And both myself and Eric are investors in a company called Marpipe that does this sort of thing with on a less AI enabled, more of a, uh, you know, statistically optimized basis. So that's some of our perspectives. So what do you guys think? Will uh, advertising creative be generated automatically in the next couple of years? Or are we still going to be doing things the old fashioned way or somewhere in between? May I start by reading the tweet, the AGM tweet? Yeah, sure. All right. So this is from Antonio Garcia Martinez. We should get him on the pod. Uh, And I quote, the first commercial use for this generative AI magic isn't going to be automating away artists or movie production or any of that. It's going to be programmatic ad creative creation. The first commercial use of any promising technology is always either porn, crime, or ads, end quote. It's a good quote. I saw that and I just like burst out laughing. Why? Why do you start laughing? I mean, obviously, Antonio is a an excellent tweeter, uh, but like, do you do you think he's right or is he wrong? Oh yeah, he's right. You know, and again, this is you know, uh, I have the benefit of being in you know some of these uh, companies that are, are not well known right now that are you know AI experts that are all over this stuff. But you know, for for certain, I, I think there is a Chat GPT moment for ad creative that everyone is going to experience in 2023. Like the tools to be able to, you know, basically experiment with type in whatever prompt you want and then have ad creative produced for you. It's already there and it's already being done. And um, it's, it's showing you a, a glimpse in the future. And I think, um, you know, AI takes away all the, all the creative jobs, but Absolutely. Like, you know, th- these things are operating at a scale that no, no teams of, of humans can, can do and can, you know, work faster. So I think that, you know, the, the future is not necessarily like AI doing it all, but, you know, the, the right people that are, um, working with the AI to, to ultimately produce all of these, all of these creatives. I mean, it's just, it's, I, so, I think it's inevitable. So you see, you see this as a tool that we're going to hand the creative folks to make them more efficient and more creative. Yeah. And, and make advertising more performant. But I think practically speaking, and, you know, this isn't a, a, a you know, sort of the most positive thought, you know, I, I do think that it's probably going to 
mean less people doing a lot of the, you know, sort of like non like truly creative production work. Right. Okay. So Zach, you, you know, you spent a lot of your career writing. Um, so are we going to replace you with, you know, tech? Yes. I hope that you replace the kinds of writing that I hate to do with tech. I, I, you know, I writing can be really difficult and time consuming and unrewarding some aspects of it. Other, other writing projects I love and I don't think can be replaced. I think I bring voice and expertise. So I'm not really concerned about myself being replaced when it comes to copywriting for ads. We saw something interesting just a couple of days ago. Ryan Reynolds did a little ad for mobile where he's on camera and talking to Chad GPT and he's saying, write me an ad using my own personality with one curse word and one joke. And then Chad GPT spits out an ad. He reads it. That's the ad. And it's pretty good. So we've already had our first like kind of mass market advertisement with a celebrity that's actually written by Chat GPT. Now, in terms of implementing this technology at scale across agencies, brands, tech, I guess I'll wait and see, you know, what the use cases are. I mean, optimizing on large data sets was like one of the original ad tech use cases. Like going back 15, 20 years, we've had agencies using dynamic optimization to generate ad creative. So it doesn't necessarily feel new or exciting to me. I think the question that I have is what's what inputs are going to make one brand's creative perform better than another brand? Are they all going to end up optimizing to the same basic look and feel? And as we all know, ChatGPT, it's not very interesting. The voice, the way it expresses itself is a little dull. It's very good at following instructions. If you tell it to say something funny, sometimes it hits the mark. Usually it just feels a little flabby and weak. I suspect that if we all just unleashed ChatGPT on every advertiser's creative tomorrow, we would end up with a lot of shit that actually looks and sounds the same, undifferentiated, boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so let me anyway. let me jump in here. Like, I, I think that um, my skepticism is for a brand, they have sort of imagery and colors and text that is within their sort of brand scope, they're within their brand image, and so there's sort of a limit on how many variations or how wide you could allow the AI to vary things there. You know, if you have a, you know, a product image, are you really going to let the AI come up with different product imagery that than the ones that you, you know, paid a professional photographer to build? That's kind of one skepticism I have about it. The second skepticism I have is that for certain kinds of brands that just want performance at all costs, they may be able to experiment a lot, especially on social where there's a strong conversion signal. But when we're talking about open internet where the conversion signal is pretty weak, like you may not know something converted for weeks at a time afterwards, I'm pretty skeptical about the benefit to having a large number of creatives because you can't really optimize them. So those are my two kind of general skepticisms on this. What do you guys think? You know, Eric, I don't know your perspective, but I think it'll be cool when we see this in the hands of creative people. Like, it's a little abstract at the moment. I do think it's powerful. My wife is a faculty member at an institution of higher education, and she just recently had to take part in a bit of a tribunal where a student had been put on notice or purported for using ChatGPT. So I've heard people express skepticism that this is going to replace college and high school paper writing. And I don't think it's far-fetched at all. 
I think it's going, we're going to see implications that stretch across many corners of our culture. And, you know, I think certainly in this industry, there's still a lot of low level tasks that can be automated. Yeah. This is just, you know, from the AI experts I've spoken to are sort of rolling their eyes a little bit at the amount of attention that the chat GPT has gotten because the, you know, they do, they're following incremental improvements. And, you know, the fact is this is just one of the, instances where where OpenAI has like made tools directly available to consumers. So it's a it's a marketing moment for AI, which is rad. I mean, I love it. I love that it's a topic of discussion for all of us. It's really Eric cool thoughts. when you work work yeah. with it. I mean, content creation, landing page creation, um, you know, content marketing, blog posts, those are all things that are, you know, right in the crosshairs here. Search ads. I actually saw someone live doing it. Like I, I walked into someone's office and their marketing person was like, Hey, I'm using chat GPT to create our search ads. It, it's kind of. Amazing. Well, there you go. It's happening. Yeah. For anyone listening that wants to, you know, actually play with this stuff, check out uh, what memorable is up to. They're a portfolio company, admaker.memorable.io. You can go build some ads. Like, and it's awesome. Awesome. A great way to finish. That's a wrap. So this is our first Mark Zetcher podcast. Folks, let us know what you think of this. Make sure to subscribe, to send it to your friends. Uh, if anyone knows Jeff Green, tell him he needs to come on Mark Architecture. Thank you, Eric and Zach, for being part of this. I hope, uh, hope this was a good conversation. Lots of fun. Can't wait for next week. Thank you for subscribing to Mark Architecture. New interviews are added every week at markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.